I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about impeachment day 1029, impeachment, who decides foreign policy, the LGBTQ mafia strikes again, and lies feminists tell women. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again, and welcome to my show, America Can We Talk, and welcome to today's First Five. Well, in Washington, there were a lot of people commenting at the end of yesterday that this is day one of the impeachment. Well, I wanna really say this is about day 1029 because that's how many days have elapsed, have passed since President Trump was sworn into office. And it has been the mission of the American left along with their cohorts, their allies and the media to find a reason to impeach President Trump since the day he won the election in November 2016, and certainly since the day he was sworn into office in January 2017. This impeachment theater you are watching in Washington is truly an opportunity for Americans to re-examine, it's actually we could in some ways view as a positive, an opportunity for Americans to really consider what the Constitution means, who possesses power in Washington to do what, and the mission and purpose of the impeachment underway and contrasted with what impeachment is really supposed to be. Yesterday, I played a short clip from Devin Nunes, his opening statement prior to the beginning of this first day of the official and open hearing for impeachment. And this morning, I want today I want to start with uh, his comments, uh, other little segments from Devin Nunes' opening statement yesterday, and we'll talk about what he's really saying, because what he's talking about, this is clip one for the very wonderful Matt, the producer, um, but we had Devin Nunes really telling America what the Democrats are doing, what they're all about, so worth listening what he has to say. This is Devin Nunes. The witnesses deemed suitable for television by the Democrats were put through a closed door audition process in a cult-like atmosphere in the basement of the Capitol, where Dem Democrats conducted secret depositions, released a flood of misleading and one-sided leaks, and later selectively released transcripts in a highly staged manner. Violating their own guidelines, Democrats repeatedly redacted from the transcripts the name of Alexander Chalupa, a contractor for the Democratic National Committee who worked with Ukrainian officials to collect dirt on the Trump campaign, which she provided to the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. The Democrats rejected most of the Republicans' witnesses, witness requests, resulting in a horrifically one-sided process where the crucial witnesses are denied a platform if their testimony does not support the Democrats' absurd accusations. Notably, they are trying to impeach the president for inquiring about Hunter Biden's activities. Yet they refuse our request to hear from Biden himself. But we should not hold any hearings at all until we get answers to three crucial questions the Democrats are determined to avoid asking. First, what is the full extent of the Democrats' prior coordination with the whistleblower? And who else did the whistleblower coordinate this effort with. Second, what is the full extent of Ukraine's election meddling against the Trump campaign? And third, why did Burisma hire Hunter Biden? And what did he do for them? And did his position affect any US government actions under the Obama administration? What we will witness today is a televised theatrical performance staged by the Democrats. Ambassador Taylor and Mr. Kent, I'd like to welcome you here. I'd like to congratulate you for passing the Democrat Star Chamber auditions held for the last weeks in the basement of the Capitol. It seems you agreed, witting or unwittingly, to participate in a drama. But the main performance, the Russia hoax, has ended, and you've been cast 
in the low-rent Ukrainian sequel. I'll conclude by noting the immense damage the politicized bureaucracy has done to Americans' faith in government. Though executive branch employees are charged with implementing the policies set by our president, who is elected and responsible to the American people, elements of the civil service have decided that they, not the president, are really in charge. They believed it was an outrage for the president to fire an ambassador, even though the president has full authority to retain or remove diplomats for any reason at any time. Officials show the surprising lack of interest in the indications of Ukrainian election meddling that deeply concern the president at whose pleasure they serve. Despite all their dissatisfaction with President Trump's Ukraine policy, the president approved the supply of weapons to Ukraine. Unlike the previous administration, which provided blankets as defense against invading Russians. By undermining the president, who they are supposed to be serving, the elements of the FBI, the Department of Justice, and now the State Department, have lost the confidence of millions of Americans who believe that their vote should count for something. It will take years, if not decades, to restore faith in these institutions. This spectacle is doing great damage to our country. It's nothing more than an impeachment process in search of a crime. You know, I will tell you, these are, those are extraordinarily strong words. That was, again, Devin Nunes, his opening statement yesterday in the day one of the official public impeachment inquiry, uh, uh, trying to uh, move toward the impeachment of President Trump. Devin Nunes, if you don't know, he is from California. He is from farm country in California. He's from the part of California, actually where my husband grew up, which is a lot like West Texas. It is rural, it's farms, it's ranches, it's oil. It is not the glam California Hollywood area of California. This is a salt of the earth guy. Those kind of words he said, I'm sure when he went off to Congress and first began to serve, he never dreamed of saying those kinds of words on air to the American people. You can sense from him, he was articulate, he was contained, but you can sense the outrage. And I actually think the American people need to embrace some of that outrage. We need to be as outraged as you can sense he is, as you can sense many people, as you can sense I am, because we are not watching anything worthy of the nobility of our country, of our elected government, of our constitution, our constitution that gives power, gives power to Congress, serious, substantive power to Congress for the purpose of having Congress carry forth the will of the people. The impeachment proceedings are supposed to be very serious, very substantive, genuinely based. And when you understand all that the Democrats have done since the moment President Trump won the election, they have been doggedly determined to find a reason to impeach him. They can drive a man to like Devin Nunes to the point of that kind of castigation of the witnesses sitting in front of him whom we will talk about in a moment, your understanding, and, and we need to get this, this is a, the continuation of the coup, the coup that started inside the FBI and the Department of Justice that usurped the proper role of those two agencies and substituted the proper role of those agencies with the agenda of the American left. And that went on prior to the time President Trump even won the nomination. It started early on during the Obama administration. It was carried forth under the Obama administration. And then once President Trump became the obvious candidate, and then he became the official Republican candidate, and then he became the candidate Again, running against Hillary Clinton, this has been a mission of the left to destroy this president since before he was sworn in. Everything they are trying to bring impeachment about in Washington is a mockery, including what Devin Nunes pointed out from the start. Devin Nunes is pointing out that the very person, one of the central characters in this entire uh, episode dealing with Ukraine, is the is Hunter Biden his role of that what he was doing we're going to talk about that in the next segment but the democrats are setting up the rules that 
the Republicans can only have witnesses the Democrats approve of. The Democrats are orchestrating the conduct of the hearing so that they only have some segments of the hearing in which the uh, full questions can be asked. That's when Democrats ask. And when Republicans have questions, they are controlled and monitored by Adam Schiff, who interrupts the witnesses to say things like, now, you don't have to go there. You know, if, that's a, if that requires you to assume facts, not in evidence, Mr. Witness, you don't have to answer that. He's coaching the witness the way a lawyer would, the lawyer on a mission to protect his mission to impeach President Trump. Schiff is, Adam Schiff is not conducting this in a way worthy of our Congress, of our Constitution, or our country. We had the, the witnesses that mattered the most to Republicans. The list was sent over. Democrats basically said no. Not only to Biden, but even to this whistleblower. I went off on him yesterday. I'm not going to do that again today. I want to close the first five to say it's really important to understand the depth of anger that Adam Schiff is conveying. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Adam, not Adam Schiff. He is angry, but he's insane. I'm t- Devin Nunes, what he is conveying in that opening statement, Devin Nunes is making clear that the entire proceeding is a fraud. He points out they had hidden secret meetings in the basement of the Capitol where witnesses were trying out so the Democrats could figure out who would look best on air in public. The entire impeachment is a sham. It's an outrage. It's a, it's a continuation of the coup. It cannot be treated seriously by the American people. And if anything, it has to be seen by the American people as a reason to seriously condemn the Democrat Party in this country. I don't want to have to dedicate every show, the entirety of every show, to the impeachment between now and when the hearing is finally over, because other things are happening in our country, in this country. So closing out this first five, I'm going to turn in the next segment to talking a little bit more about the impeachment, to understand some of the astounding hypocrisy and irony it's right in our faces in america if we're willing to follow the facts we're going to talk about the impeachment a little more in the next segment then we're going to turn to other stories which are actually happening in america and that my friend is today's first five i want to talk about though the um the outrage the republicans feel the the contradictory standards that the uh, democrats are undertaking just the the entire audacity of the American left in pursuing this impeachment. To start with, getting the idea that one thing that Adam, that you were hearing uh, in the quotes a moment ago from Devin Nunes, he was, he's got in front of him the two witnesses for that day. Those two witnesses were our State Department people. They were there, the first witnesses, the ones that Democrats thought would be the best possible witnesses to have the American public see. To summarize what we learned yesterday after those impeachment, the entire day of impeachment hearings, we learned nothing that is even remotely justifiably, could remotely justify even holding impeachment hearings, let alone moving toward impeachment. These two clowns knew nothing. But I want to focus on three things about what these people had to say, because, and Adam Schiff made the point really, uh, Adam Schiff was trying to hold them out, Adam Schiff and also the other Democrats questioning, hold these two out as just, you know, the epitome of what State Department people are supposed to be like, the epitome of how we do foreign policy. Many of the questions were kind of drooling all over them groveling. Can you please tell us what a good statesman does? They're trying to attack President Trump and his policy with respect to Ukraine. One point you heard Devin Nunes make just a moment ago and want to elaborate on is the idea that part of what this impeachment inquiry is about is the idea that the Democrats believe, the deep state type Democrats believe in the State Department, in throughout federal agencies in Washington, they believe that foreign policy is whatever they, the ruling elites, want it to be. This is one of the central questions of this entire impeachment inquiry. Who has power in our country to create foreign policy, to carry out foreign policy? Is foreign policy whatever the State Department, bow-tied, intellectual, Ivy League, long-term intellectual uh, virtue signalers say it is, or is foreign policy set as the Constitution requires by the President? And this is a core issue. Devin Nunes is making it clear. Other commentators were. But much of what these people testifying for the Democrats 
trying to bring about the impeachment of the president, much of what they're trying to argue is that President Trump was engaging in the wrong policy. He shouldn't have this policy with respect to the Ukraine. He should have this policy. He shouldn't be doing this. He should be saying that. He shouldn't say this. We decide what he says. This is, we've talked about in the show many times, leftism is ultimately at its core about arrogance. Leftism is about power and arrogance and control. The left believes they are the ruling elite. They are entitled to be in charge of foreign policy. They're entitled to be in charge of foreign policy. That's what they think. And so, because they think that, they cannot believe that President Trump came along and changed policy toward the Ukraine. So, to start with, it's a battle about who really sets and solves foreign policy. Uh, one of the witnesses you saw sitting there yes, uh, yesterday at the impeachment hearing uh, was this guy who is the acting, um, I'm not sure why he's only acting, but, but he is the acting, um, the uh, ambassador to uh, the Ukraine. And he is a, um, just a typical, almost uh, central casting type character. Um, and he's been a, uh, he's the one as the, uh, left listen to him talk in the basement in secret in the Capitol decided would be a really, really, really good guy to have out there. So Bill Taylor, the guy's name, he is an anti-Trump impeachment witness. One thing about him, Bill Taylor, now this is the acting ambassador to the Ukraine, he testified, or he actually previously had led a group to the Ukraine earlier this year, led a group to the Ukraine, a delegation to the Ukraine that is a George Soros-funded organization that has Hunter Biden on its small chairman's council. Do not let Bill Taylor's title dupe you into thinking that he's an expert on foreign policy. He may know things about the Ukraine. He may know people in the Ukraine. He may know the history of the Ukraine, but this is a guy who's friendly with, locked arms with, the George Soros mindset. He's leading a George Soros funded group over to the Ukraine, a group on which Hunter Biden sits on the small chairman's council. So. I raise these points to say, when you hear this guy testify in his prissy, self-important manner, you can think, well, you know, he, he is uh, the acting ambassador. He probably knows something. He's a guy, he's a leftist. He doesn't think the president has the right to conduct foreign policy. He thinks that he and the gurus and the State Department and the know-it-alls who really know everything ought to be the ones who get to engage in foreign policy. The group he led over to the Ukraine uh, was called, is called the National Democratic Institute, the NDI, which has, as I say, Hunter Biden on the small chairman's council. So you gotta understand this guy is not coming from a place of wisdom about the Ukraine he, and, and respect for the presidency, he's coming from a place of saying, I'm a leftist, I like Hunter Biden, and I don't like this impeachment that is going to embarrass my friend Hunter. Second point is, I wanna make clear, there's some history here that just, if you, if this, if the roles or the parties were reversed, you would hear media talking about these points all the time. They don't talk about them because they don't want the utter hypocrisy of this, of this entire impeachment process to be visible to be discernible by the American people. Point number one, the Ukraine, the officials in charge in the Ukraine back in 2016 were heavily involved trying to help Hillary and to defeat Trump. So in 2017, Senator Grassley, Republican Senator Grassley, asked the Department of Justice, he sent a letter to the Department of Justice, asked him to investigate Ukraine's involvement in the American elections of 2016. So Republicans were trying to get at what the heck the Ukrainians were doing. The Department of Justice apparently has not done very much looking into that. Other facts that can help you weigh the consequences of this of these allegations against President Trump that are leading to this impeachment, which aren't really the reasons for the impeachment at all, but what the left is claiming he did wrong. John Solomon, brilliant, uh, just an astonishingly wonderful investigative journalist, um, actually did a, uh, himself a FOIA lawsuit, Freedom of Information Act. He revealed, because he was able to get this information, John Solomon reported that there are he got memos in response to his Freedom of Information Act showing that Burisma Holdings, the company that Hunter Biden 
sat on the board of that was the reason that Joe Biden went over to the Ukraine and demanded that they fire a prosecutor who was investigating Burisma, his son's company, and Biden said on open tape, we talked about this, we played it in the show before, said he was on tape, said he threatened them withholding a billion dollars of aid unless they fire the prosecutor who was looking into Burisma, Hunter Biden's company. Now, back to John Solomon. So he does a Freedom of Information Act request, and he comes up with the reality, the proof that the Burisma Holdings was pressing the Obama State Department. So Burisma Holdings, well, Obama's still president, Biden's still vice president, Hunter Biden's on Burisma's board. So Burisma is going to the State Department, pressing them to help end the corruption investigation involving Hunter Biden's company. Now, I ask you, folks, is this the kind of thing, if anything close to this was done by President Trump, you would have this added as a, an impeachment, uh, at least a, a topic to be investigated. But when corruption happens on the left, we just don't talk about it. We don't investigate it. We don't acknowledge it. But again, get these facts. In 2016, Obama's still president. Biden's still vice president. Burisma Holdings pressing the Obama State Department to help end corruption investigation involving Hunter Biden. And then Joe Biden flies over to Ukraine to say, hey, by the way, you know what, folks? You need to fire this guy who's investigating my son or else I'm holding back a billion dollars in aid. That's what happened. And yet we're still having an impeachment hearing over whether or not various language that President Trump chose in a series of conversations might possibly be contorted into the sense of a quid pro quo. And to be clear, I'm not going to play Adam Schiff's opening statement, but he's obviously gearing this testimony, gearing this impeachment hearing toward trying to say that what he's come up with is kind of like bribery. He's heading toward the word bribery because it's in the Constitution, because it might justify this impeachment. He is contorting nothing into bribery. Second point, there were documents released by the Ukrainian General Prosecutor's Office, the Ukrainian General Prosecutor's Office, revealing millions of dollars funneled to Hunter Biden and the John Kerry family. The left is up to its neck in corruption with the Ukraine. And yet we're watching a hearing in Washington, the left, specifically Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, yet we're sitting here and supposed to take seriously an impeachment hearing trying to remove President Trump, remove President Trump when the left is in bed with the Ukraine with all of this we've already talked about, which I just told you about, and actually the last one, Ukrainian officials released records of 46 payments 46 payments to Hunter Biden from Burisma Holdings, 38 payments of $83,333 each, totaling over $3.1 million. So Ukrainian officials are willing to acknowledge Burisma is paying Hunter Biden $3.1 million. The guy got paid $50,000 a month to sit on this board. I mean, there's a lot of people in America who would take that job. I raise all these points to say this. The hypocrisy, the word hypocrisy isn't even strong enough. The astonishing audacity, the gall of Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, the entire Democrat representation in the Congress sitting there thinking it's okay to go after the president over, I'm telling you, nothing over the only way they can even contort conversations, which President Trump releases the transcripts. He shows you what he said. There's nothing to it. No money to it, no changing hands, and yet you have willing to pursue impeachment when all of this corruption, collusion, entanglement between Hillary and the Ukrainians and Hunter Biden and the Ukrainians and Joe Biden and the Ukrainians and John Kerry's family and the Ukrainians just sits there and everybody acts like we can't talk about that. And they don't talk about it because the Democrat Party never really gets held accountable. And this is why we must have, which segues well into my last point in this segment, we must have a strong backbone Republican Party in Washington 
standing up against this impeachment. We have had a few true, genuine heroes in this House impeachment proceeding. We have, of course, you just saw Devin Nunes, stellar rock star, clarity, substance. John Radcliffe, Texas congressman, stellar, awesome. Jim Jordan, another stellar, strong, clear, pointing out these breathtaking hypocrisies on the American left. By the way, I saw a little tidbit. Washington Post took a shot at Jim Jordan, the congressman from Ohio, who's been stellar in these impeachment proceedings, took a shot at him because he went to the hearing and on national television while asking questions, while wearing a, a you know dress shirt and a tie, didn't have his jacket on acting like it was a signal of disrespect because who are, how, how can you be in this impeachment hearing and show up without your, your uh, suit jacket on? I mean, of all serious things, all the real corruption we just talked about, all of the astonishing wrongdoing on the left, plain as day known by Freedom of Information Act results by open mic statements, and yet the Washington Post chooses to nitpick and whine and you know wring its hands of whether Jim Jordan feels like wearing his suit jacket in the hearing, seriously. But last point in this segment, which has to do, again, uh, with the need for the Republicans to stand strong. And by the way, every story I'm talking about today, all the stories I talk about are always available on my website, americacanwetalk.org. You can go to that website, on my homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links. I link to all these stories. I'd love to have you read them. I, I mean, you know, I tell you the hardest thing preparing for this show every day is deciding among the many articles I've read, the many topics I care about, the things I want to talk about about America, which ones I can fit in that day. And then this is my hardest thing. So I'd love to have you read more of them. Go, you can go, in fact, the link to the entire uh, Devin Nunes opening statement is on our website today. Uh, go to the website. You can find other things there. I appreciate it so much if you visit that website, especially if you want to read what more I'm talking about. But last point in this segment about this, this entire uh, witch hunt sham impeachment proceeding. And that is this. There were people commenting yesterday that the House Republicans did a good job. They did a great job. I mean, the ones who questioned were really strong. Part of one, one reason that they were, in some people's view, speaking so strongly, laying the facts out in the record, as, as Devin Nunes did, spelling out the determination of the left to get Trump from day one, was signaling to the Republicans in the U.S. Senate, you better stand strong. The House Republicans, far more backbone. Not all of them. In fact, it's only a handful of them, but the ones that have backbone have a lot of it. So you have the Republicans in the House really standing strong for President Trump, pointing out the just lies and hypocrisy and delusional nature of this impeachment proceeding and laying out talking points for the Senate Republicans. On the Senate side, I will say there is a uh, story out I will just quickly share as a closing this segment, which is that there was a statement put out by some of the senior Republicans in the U.S. Senate, essentially saying, signaling to the White House, to President Trump, don't think that we can just dismiss this impeachment charge. Don't think if the House actually impeaches that we in the Senate side can just dismiss the impeachment. We're gonna have to have a trial. We're gonna have to go through witnesses. We're gonna have to go through all of this. Now I have to tell you folks, one of the senators is one of our senators from Texas, John Cornyn. John Cornyn has a leadership role in the U.S. Senate, um, and I actually always forget his title anyway, whatever his title is. He has a title in the U.S. Senate. He is just one of the, you know, never stand up. He, he's, I mean, you know, he's, he'll, at the end of the day, mostly vote with Republican values. He never fights for anything. He never fights on the hard issues. He never stands up on the hard issues. He's one of those go along to get along. I just want to get reelected Republicans. Never fights, never stands up. He's one with statement out, among others, saying to the White House, you know, we're going to have to have a real trial here. I'm just going to ask you to consider, and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you to think about this. Do you think if the U.S. House had a Republican majority under President Obama, and, and that they had it, but we had a Democrat majority in the Senate. This is hypothetical. But do you think if the U.S. House, with a Republican majority, moved for impeachment of President Obama and impeached him, made the impeachment vote 
for, oh, I don't know, you know, the Iranian deal, which was basically a treasonous deal with one of the, with the world's single largest exporter of terrorism, with a sworn enemy of America, and we reached a deal with them that gave them, whatever it was, $150 billion in cash, enabled their development of nuclear weapons, and did not even bring that deal back through the Constitution's required uh, hearing in the Senate, waiting for the approval of the Senate. Do you think at the House impeach him on that? President Obama I'm talking about. Do you think that a Democrat majority in the Senate would even hold a trial, would have even held a trial? And I can tell you the answer is no. There's no way those people stick together. Democrats stick together. They would never even have considered holding a trial. But on our, we are now going to have, we're apparently going to have, if the House goes through, this a, a trial in the Senate. And I really hope that the senators in this country, every Republican senator understands they are done as politicians. They are done as senators if they dare to support this impeachment. I actually think, you know, Romney, Senator Romney from Utah has been, you know, among the most just, just, I, I can't even find words that you're allowed to say on air. Just jelly-spined, traitorous, uh, nefarious, undermining, smug, virtue-signaling, outrageous guy in the U.S. Senate. I would love, from the state of Utah, if you could have literally a caravan of voters get up to Washington and tell him to his face, don't you dare vote for this impeachment. The people of Utah ought to be pummeling the Republicans in Utah, pummeling Romney's office with messages saying, don't you dare orchestrate this impeachment vote to get Trump out in the Senate. Don't you dare vote to impeach our president. I hope they can do that. Okay, two last quick stories. As I said, I refuse to dedicate every show from now until the end of this impeachment trial to impeachment. Two quick stories. One is about the LGBTQ mafia. And that was actually an expression create, uh, that was created and used by Bill Maher, the leftist comedian who was pointing out that the LGBTQ community has become like the mafia. They tolerate no dissent. So we have a little uh, controversy on, uh, going on right now, and that involves the NFL Thanksgiving Day game. So the NFL has you know famous people come and sing at halftime. They invited Ellie Goulding, who is uh, who knew I never heard of her, but she is a you know an award-winning singer. I guess she has you know a huge number of fans, millions of followers. She was to be the halftime singer at the NFL. The NFL game on Thanksgiving Day is also the day, the kind of formal kickoff of the Salvation Army. You know, every year they raise millions and millions and millions of dollars. They house homeless people. They feed people. They hold, they have Salvation Army stores. They give people a place to go to so they can buy things who can't afford to buy them in the stores. The Salvation Army, as they say, does the most good, a stellar American charity. But... A group of LGBTQ activists went wild on Twitter, assaulting and criticizing Ellie Goulding for being willing to sing at the NFL game on Thanksgiving at halftime because the Salvation Army would also be there and their kickoff of the holiday season, you know, fundraising time. And they, they are characterizing the LGBTQ terrorists are characterizing the Salvation Army as homophobic. And because, and so Salvation Army, very overtly Christian organization, happy to say they're, they're here to support Christian values. They raise millions, they raise millions, and they, they as they say, they house, they feed, they clothe, they, they help people who are in desperate need. But these folks got so active on Twitter, criticizing Ellie Goulding for agreeing to sing at the NFL Thanksgiving Day game because Salvation Army would be there, that she, in turn, turned around to the NFL and said, you know what, NFL, uh, you shouldn't be humoring the Salvation Army because you know, they're homophobic, which I'll tell you in a minute, one of the, one of the main stories they have that they're calling homophobic. But she demanded, in, in, in order for her to come and sing, which she apparently has already contractually agreed to do, but her condition for fulfilling her contract is, she's demanding that the Salvation Army make a large monetary donation to one of the a list of uh, charities that is pro LGBTQ. So she's withholding her commitment to sing or threatening to unless the Salvation Army 
makes a donation to a pro-LGBT group which is inconsistent with the Christian values of many Americans. And Salvation Army is a, is, you know, it's, is a Christian-based uh, charity. I can't run through the, the examples I gave. When you read the articles, you realize the LGBT community has decided in this country that they can identify and eviscerate anyone who does not salute 100% to their agenda. Here's one story, and so actually in the articles I was reading, like the signature story the LGBTQ community is using to argue that the Salvation Army, Army is homophobic, or and to be more precise, they're really saying that the Salvation Army is transphobic. So there was a man who lived in some small town in Texas and, became, and grew up there, became an adult, and after becoming an adult, decided that he was transgender and he really wanted to become a woman. So he's a guy who wants to become a woman, started to dress like a woman and uh, try to appear like a woman, hasn't had surgery, so he's anatomically a guy, but he wants to be a woman. So he moved in Texas to a larger city and presented himself, he's homeless. He doesn't have a job, he's homeless, he, you know, he's, he's hungry. So shows up at Salvation Army who did provide him a, a, you know, food, care, allowed him to stay temporarily in their facilities. But it got around to where he wanted to be eligible for the women's housing that the Salvation Army provides for the homeless. But he's a guy, anatomically. He's dressing like a woman. He's probably got a woman's name he's using. He's a guy. He's demanding that the Salvation Army let him live in the women's housing thing. Salvation Army person interviewing him for eligibility just said basically, have you had your surgery? You know, your, your transitioning surgery. And he said, no, he's not. So he's anatomically male. And she said, basically, we can't let you live in the women's housing because anatomically, you know, you're still male. So this is an example. In fact, as I say in several articles, the prime example being given for why the Salvation Army is being painted as transphobic and homophobic. My points on the LGBTQ mafia, they are demanding that everyone agree with whatever they decide reality and truth is. No one else is allowed to have a different opinion. They are utterly dismissive of the idea that some people actually hold values based in their faith that determine what they think marriage is, what they think is the right, uh, the right idea of marriage. And what the LGBTQers, especially those advocating transgenderism, are saying is, we decide reality, we decide truth, we tell you truth, no one may disagree. And we're going to bring the forces of our Twitter mob and the forces of our social media all over the place to belittle, harass, and destroy you until you salute to our agenda. Now, I saw this story at the NFL and other social media places. A lot of conservatives were saying, so cancel her contract, get somebody else. I'm sure there are a few more people who would like to sing at the NFL's Thanksgiving Day game if Ellie Goulding you know, is going to make a demand about forcing the Salvation Army to give its donations, which come from its donors who agree with their cause, and give them to an LGBTQ uh, approved cause. I'll close out this little segment by saying this. I feel genuine sympathy for people who are struggling with their identity, who are adults and who truly, for whatever reason you attribute, you know, biologically or whatever reason they have, they're struggling with their identity. I actually have no problem with adults if it's their decision and their money paying for it to decide to transition to change sexes. If they're a man, they want to become a woman, women want to become a man. It's, it's, in the, it's a free country. I, I think it's harmful. I think there's plenty of stories around there that are around this that are harmful, but, and, and stories that people say later, I wish someone had told me that you really can't ever transition, all sorts of stories. But the point of this story today is not approval, disapproval of transgendering. It's about the idea that in our American culture, one, this is one out of dozens of examples, the left is intolerant and belligerent and unwilling to accept the right of anyone else to think differently about any issue than whatever it is they believe in. The LGBTQ agenda is a perfect example of leftist intolerance, belligerence, absolutely forcing the country to accept their view and 
using the power of social media, the power of their, um, their advocacy, their outspokenness, their, their willingness to just characterize anyone who don't agree with them as hateful, intolerant, phobic of some kind, they tolerate no one. They are the most intolerant, the American left, the most intolerant of anyone in our culture. Last story, and I only have a couple of minutes. To, I just wanna, this is again, we're getting away from impeachment, but the last story is about this. You know, I talk about policy issues on this show all the time, you know, tax issues, national security, border security, foreign policy, environmental policy, all sorts of policies always rooted in the idea that the idea of America is that was created and America was created uniquely by our founding in the Declaration of Independence, the right of people to live in liberty and the constitution that was structured, that created the structure of government intended to protect that liberty. But other issues also shape America's culture and fabric and they're more kind of social issues or they're, they're not particularly tied to a policy, but they still go back to the kind of leftist mindset that I'm always trying to expose and denounce because leftists are always about control and leftists are always about disintegrating various aspects and, and gifts and greatness of the American culture. The left is always about destroying the unique greatness of America. So I want to talk about uh, feminist lies. And you know, I'm really almost out of time today. And the, I driving here, I was thinking, this topic doesn't really fit with everything else we're talking about today, but I just want to plant a seed and say, I'm gonna be trying to be talking about these topics more. Because there is in this country, the feminism movement, you know, which was, I'm to be really clear, I'm in favor of women, equal access to education, equal access, I mean, I'm a lawyer, equal access to education, equal access to jobs, fairness in the in employment that you, you know, that you, you can't discriminate based on sex in what you pay people, or who you promote or who you hire, that I'm in favor of all the equal access to jobs. But part of what feminism did, in addition to pushing those things, which I view as good things, was denigrating some aspects of womanhood and some aspects of the unique differences and wonderful differences between men and women. It was kind of a, 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 um, a kind of an evisceration. It's like along with the idea of giving women equal access to employment and education and all other legal rights, the feminists took it too far or took it off track into the idea of denigrating womanhood, denigrating the uh, idea of wholesome, healthy relationships between men and women. So one lie the left has pushed, in fact, the reason I'm doing this story, and by the way, there's an article I, I've uh, I located today, I just was reading about it, um, this woman who wrote a book 20 years ago about you know feminism and raising children, but she had an article out today, and these are kind of lies of the left, and they play into the larger picture of the left always being about control. But the lies of the left that you hear connected with feminism one is that women don't need men. It's this idea that, you know, women are, are just, are, you know, men are kind of irrelevant, women don't need them, they're just an irrelevant attachment to your life, and they're kind of actually a hassle half the time, and so women, we could just be women together, and who needs men? That's unwholesome, unhealthy. The relationships, the healthy, normal relationships between men and women are truly a blessing to men and women. Another one is when men and women are the same, or gender is a social construct, and it's not. Contrary to the LGBTQ and transgender advocacy groups, actually men and women are different. They're different from the moment of conception. They are different and they're intended to be different and that's okay, it's a good thing. There's, gender is not a construct, it is a physical fact. Third, the biological clock isn't real. This is another lie of feminism that has encouraged women to push their careers and move and, and I practice law, I can tell you about this in a moment if I get a chance, but the biological clock isn't real was, is another argument encouraging women go ahead go ahead all these great ways we have now you know you don't you know you can you can use all sorts of kind of modern medical miracles to push your childbearing years later and push uh, your you know, push your career and, and get out there and be successful and don't worry about that biological clock a lot of women and, and I will say I've encouraged women I do encourage women to go to law school women to go to whatever medical school wherever they want to go to I'm in favor of women being educated but the lie the left has been don't worry about it that you know the biological clock isn't real but actually it is 
It actually is. And women who actually hope to have a family someday have been duped a bit by the left in, in thinking that they can kind of pursue their career until they're 45 or 50 and then think about kids. And, and you know, life is different at that point. Last one, and this is one I'll kind of close with in this segment, is the lie of the left is a career is more meaningful than marriage and children. I have to tell you, folks, you know, we... I, my husband and I are both lawyers. We met in a law firm. Uh, you know, we got married, kept practicing law. We, we had our first kid. I had a really big struggle in my heart about whether to go back to work or stay home because I actually like practicing law and I like being a mom. And I, I, you know, I struggled with it for a while. I think women do. I think one of the most profound ways to respect women and truly treat them as competent and equal is to talk to them about the idea that, you know, it's actually fulfilling. First of all, to respect them means whatever they choose is valid. If they choose to stay home, it's a wonderful thing. That's what I chose. I dropped out of the practice of law and raised our kids. No regrets here. But other women chose to go back to work. I'm really getting the idea, though, that feminism tries to degrade the value of mothering and raising children. And our society is feeling the impact of that and will continue to feel the impact as we denigrate the value of families in our country. So, you know, I'm going to, as I say, I'm just kind of you know, putting my toe in the water on this topic. I'll be talking more and more about uh, culture and family because it really does matter and, and the kind of country America becomes. And the last point on this before I turn to why these matter to you is this. When family structure breaks down, when more and more, which it did beginning with the great society, there are just overwhelming proof. As the federal government began funding families and the great society started paying money into families, the, fa the, the breakdown of the nuclear family unit happened. You can parallel it, chart after chart shows it. The more the government stepped in and took the place of the breadwinner, the more families became mom and kids and no dad in sight. And that has hurt kids in thousands of ways we've talked about in this show before. But the left benefits from their denigration of family and the structure of family. They denigrate it by family by once everyone in the country knew that the social programs under the Great Society were actually destroying family, this didn't bother the left at all. In fact, they've, all they ever do is increase it. The point is this, when you have people who are not connected in a family, who are more vulnerable, who don't have income, that worry about income, they're more dependent on the government. The government loves this. The less involved nuclear families are, parents are in raising children, passing on their values, passing on their faith, faith, teaching their children about what's right and wrong and virtue and marriage and, and, and faith. The less the family does that, the more the role has opened up for the public schools and the government to do that. Leftists who want to control what people think benefit as families break down. And now, the extremely wonderful producer, Matt, who's probably thinking, is she ever going to end the show today? Because we actually are near the end of our time. I want to turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And to start with the impeachment and the, um, this is day 1029. Do not go along with day one. It's day 1029. The Dems' determination to impeach started before Donald Trump was inaugurated. There's never been an impeachable crime named by the Democrats. Reversing the 2016 election result is the Democrats goal. Impeachment is the means. Grounds for the impeachment is an afterthought. It's backfill. This is why witnesses have been prepared in secret. They're rehearsing, following a script, the Democrats desire. And even with all that, there is nothing of substance. Zero. Don't be played by the, gee, something bad must have happened or they wouldn't be holding hearings lie. This impeachment is a total fraud. Next slide, the president does not work for the State Department. This is who decides foreign policy. The president does not work for the State Department, career diplomats, or the interagency committees that Vindman likes. All the US State Department works for the president. All of the department works for the president. The president does not work for or answer to the CIA, DOJ, or FBI. The CIA, DOJ, and FBI work for the president. The president does work for and is answerable to we the people in elections. Note the investigation of Ukrainian corruption and related 2016 interference is a legitimate American interest. Biden doesn't get a pass for his past corruption by becoming a 2020 candidate. 
and the LGBTQ mafia striking again, militants practice the intolerance they falsely attribute to Christianity. No one may write or speak anything counter to transgender and LGBTQ orthodoxy, and anyone who dares is attacked, hated, destroyed personally and professionally. The Salvation Army's work with the homeless and hungry is homophobic. A homeless biological man not permitted to be housed with women is supposed to be viewed as transphobic. Yet LGBTQ pressure on singer Ellie Goulding causes her to threaten to walk away from the NFL gig unless Salvation Army bows to whatever LGBTQ militants demand. The militancy of the LGBTQ movement will only be stopped if people and groups like the NFL, Salvation Army, and the American people just say no. Last and the lies feminists tell you, leftists have always preyed on and tried to manipulate women's emotions, discourage traditional families. It was a good thing for equality for women to have equal access and rights to education, careers, but culture and families also matter. The four lies leftists and feminists tell women and the truth, leftists say don't, women don't need men. And I say, yes, men and women needing each other is a wholesome and healthy thing. Leftists say women and men are the same. Wrong, again, the differences are healthy. Biological clock isn't real. Answer, yes, actually it just is. Pushing childbearing later adds risks and reduces family size. Last, leftist lie, career is more meaningful than marriage and children. Wrong again, both are meaningful and possible, though for many, including myself, not at the same time. Leftism benefits by the destruction of families and marriage. The government has more power to control what children learn and think if parents are out of the picture. The fewer intact families, the more single people, unsure of their economic stability, the bigger the role the government has in creating dependency. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I am way out of time, so thank you for listening. Please tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to this show, America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you next time. America Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can you hear-